You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly interviews on topics to help entrepreneurs make their first or next step in business the right one. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Has the current state of the economy hindered your plans to launch a business or even negatively affected your existing company? Thankfully, there is a way to build a business that will not only survive, but also thrive in any economic situation, including this one. Today's guest is John Meese. John is a serial entrepreneur who has worked alongside Michael Hyatt to build and sell Platform University, just name one of his many achievements. Today, we're talking through John's book titled Survive and Thrive, which covers foundational principles for building a business that can stand the test of time, no matter what is happening in the world around it. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 104. And now here's my conversation with my friend, John Meese. John, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Thank you, Alex. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to to have you on the show, and I'll explain why real quick. I've actually been reading your content for nearly a decade at this point, so it's an honor to finally have the opportunity to, to, to speak with you and, of course, have you on the show. So thanks so much again for being here. And I'll mention two quick things here um, that I, I really wanted to, to kind of open up with, and this is kind of off topic for the episode we'll have today, but I want to let you know that... I had a bad mindset, like a wrong mindset about what it meant to start a business for a long time. Mm. And I read a blog post that you wrote about having the proper mindset when breaking off from a nine to five job and starting your own business that like just completely changed my perspective. I mean, it wow. caught me dead in my tracks. And I actually talked about that in the hundredth episode of the show, which is if anyone's curious, or hasn't heard, you can go to creatingabrand.com slash 100. And uh, that actually, I talked about it. And that was a perspective that you really helped me with many years ago. Wow. And the second thing I'll mention is my wife and I, we started a small group ministry at our church years back and it becoming one of the largest in the nation. And I'm really thankful for that time being able to lead that ministry. But I learned a lot about how to create the leadership pipeline and to grow it healthy from Platform University. So it was you and Michael Hyatt that were writing those posts. And I, like, I leaned on that to help me figure out how to run those things. So again, I just bring these things up to say that you've had a major impact in my life. And I, I really, really appreciate your time today. Well, Alex, I really appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I can't, no words can really express, you know, what you've done is, is really the, the ultimate gift for a teacher like me is to act, to learn and put it into practice, right? Because like, like I wrote a book, that's great, but a book is worthless without readers, you know? And, and so I've written lots of blog posts over the years. That's great, but that's worthless without readers. And so thank you so much for sharing that. And that's really, you know, the core of what I do is, is really, I, you know, my mission is to help entrepreneurs create thriving businesses. And so I am a customer, a paying customer of your business, Podmatch, and so uh, I'm a fan of what you're you're building, and so it it really it's really special to hear that I had a small part in that. So thank you for sharing that. Love that, man. Thanks so much. This is actually a good segue right into our, our conversation today because we're actually talking through your book, Survive and Thrive, which, by the way, I absolutely love this book. It's one of the most impactful business books that I've ever read. So kudos to you, man, for thank for you. publishing this one. Really phenomenal. So you broke it into 10 chapters, mm -hmm. and it covers what I believe just to be the, all the essential points of building a business that's going to thrive. And I know that was obviously the, the goal there. And also not just thrive, but also during bad economic situations mm -hmm. or when the world faces different things. And obviously, I'm alluding to what's happened to us in recent years, but will probably happen again at some point. Yeah. And, and today, this episode, I want to cover three chapters. And before we do that, before we just jump on those three points we're going to mention today, you mentioned the Great Reset. You refer to this in the book. Can you talk about what that means exactly? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, just the short version of my backstory is that, you know, I'm a traditionally trained economist before I kind of got uh, 
not fed up is probably too strong of a word, but I, <laughs> I, I left academia and really began to focus more on practical, what I felt like was more practical day-to-day life entrepreneurship. Um, and so coming into that, that meant that while I am a boots on the ground entrepreneur and a serial entrepreneur, not like Fruit Loops, but like multiple businesses, um, <laughs> right. then with that in mind, I still come at it with an economic lens. And so I've been paying attention to some major trends that have been happening, you know, on a global uh, on the, the global stage. And one of the things that, you know, I, I think the reality is, of course, we all know that not just COVID-19, but the COVID-19 lockdown, all the restrictions and just the just the duration of it, the fact that it was, you know, more than a year that all this has been going on um, in different ways. Of course, that had a dramatic impact on our life and our world and our economy. But there's many things that actually got expedited that were already happening. There were like, there, there's many changes that were probably going to already happen naturally over the course of the next 15 or 20 years that just happened very suddenly. Um, and some of that, you know, some of that you can see in the shift to just like e-commerce, for example, whereas like, you know, there was already a shift to more and more people buying products online versus buying at their local store. And then all of a sudden it was a dramatic, you know, that was just crushed. Um, but one of the biggest changes when we're talking about creating a brand, one of the biggest ones that trends as part of the great reset, you know, that in that, in that reset, one of the greatest shifts that I'm excited about is a shift from the age of information, which we've, you and I, we've lived, Alex, we've lived, our whole life has been in the age of information. It's all we right. know. Yeah. To the age of insight. And this is a new term. This comes from the World Economic Forum where they just announced, they said it's official. We just entered the age of insight. Now, you could argue all day about who is the ultimate authority in the world who can say what age we're in. The historians usually get to pick that. But in the present day, we can, you know, still, right. <laughs> I think they made a compelling argument for saying, look, the age of information was characterized by our ability to have access to unlimited information about pretty much anything in the world to the magic of computer and internet and, you know, just open access information all over the world. Well, that's cool. But I don't know about you, but I spend 99% of my energy today ignoring information, right? I mean, whether it's a a pop-up notification or an overflowing email inbox or a billboard or a text or the 10,000 advertising messages that we see a day, most of our information has been ignoring information. And so one of the shifts that's naturally started to happen and then was expedited with the, the Great Reset of 2020 was this shift to the age of insight where rather than individuals, when they are looking for a solution to a problem, rather than trying to solve it themselves by you know, getting a, you know, becoming an armchair philosopher and studying that topic in detail. Instead, they're looking to find who is that one expert that I trust in that subject who can interpret the truth for me, who can, they've done the research that so that they can, I can just take them at their word. And so that's true in every market. And so there's a huge demand right now for experts to stand up and be for their industry and for the niche of their industry to be the the curator, to bring that insight. It's such a, you have so many good points here that you're bringing up. And I think about how, yes, like this last year was the, the great reset in the sense of it set a new standard. Like we're mm-hmm. in some ways 15 years in the future that we knew it eventually come, like you're saying, but now they're here. Now, I don't want this to sound negative or anything like that, but this will happen again at some point. Like it might not be COVID-19 or some sort of sickness, but something will happen at one point or another in our lifetime again that will cause another reset like this. And it's really important that we build businesses that, can not only survive, but also thrive during those times. And that's really what you're talking about that. And is it really a realistic expectation to say that that can happen? Very much so. Very much so. I mean, the reality is that there will be another crisis and then another one and then another one and then another one. Um, 
you know, actually, I love this. I included this quote in the book. Tom Schwab from Interview Valet is a friend. He told me, he said, look, the human condition is characterized by you're either, you're either coming out of a crisis, you're in a crisis, or you're going into a crisis, right? right I mean, right. that's true on an individual basis, but when we're talking about on a global level, there's some shared experiences we all have. And the reality is, I, you know, I'm only 30 years old, and I've already had three, you know, once-in-a-lifetime experiences on a global level, right? I mean, as of you, with, you know, you think 9-11, you think the 2008 crash, you know, you think then, you know, COVID-19, you think like, wow, those are like global crises, really. You know, there's always something to trigger it, but the reality is like in our economic cycle, the way that the current global economy functions, we have an economic recession, give or take, a, you know, roughly every 10 years. And so it's, it's, you know, it's like, well, okay, we had 2001, and then we had 2008, and then 2020, wait a second, why are we surprised when this happens? You know, like the, the cause is always different, but the economy is really primed for that, um, you know, you know every, every 10 years, roughly, just the way that the current patterns go. So with that and said, yes, it is very possible. And in fact, there were many companies who had their best year ever last year, but there are also more than 100,000 businesses just in the U.S. that permanently closed. So the goal here is to get clear on what are the core things in your business that you need to put in place to make sure that you can not only survive, but thrive in any economy, including this one. Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here, and I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. That's a great transition to drop straight into chapter one of the book. Again, we're going to cover the first three here, but this is where you open up talking about the entrepreneur's paradox. Can you explain what the entrepreneur's paradox is exactly? Yeah, so the entrepreneur's paradox is that um, it well, it's it, it's a couple things. I mean, one of them is just that it's it, it it's funny by the way. Side story: a book came out at the same time as mine. That's literally the entire book's called the entrepreneur's paradox. That was <laughs> oh, unexpected. No. But right. then, yes, but Curtis, the author of that, um, him and I are actually climbing Mount Kilimanjaro together in October, so it works out. But it was right. that was a surprise for sure. Um, but at its core, entrepreneurship is about create solving problems for a profit. But, but here's the thing that is just so difficult to just wrap your head around as an entrepreneur. If you choose to build a business as an entrepreneur, if you choose to pursue life as an entrepreneur, you are choosing a path of problems for the rest of your life. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's like, and I love this, and I got this part from Michael Hyatt, where, you know, who I know is a mutual mentor of ours. He says that a business is built on solving a problem for a profit. It's like, okay, well, wait a second. Well, that means in a crisis or good times or bad, the question is not how do I get rid of my problems, right? Because we actually need those to exist as entrepreneurs, right? Without problems, you wouldn't need entrepreneurs to solve your problems, you know, but that's, that's just, that's the core of this is just that you need to, uh, you need to really just learn to love the problems around you, to love solving them, to love, enjoy, you know, and just stop waiting for the problems to go away because that's just not going to happen as part of an entrepreneur, um, so, I mean, at its core, what I teach, the way I teach it, you know, it's at its core, a business is, and you could, by the way, you can trace back the most successful businesses last year to this, is that if they had, if they have clarity on who are the real people they serve, what is the real problem those people have, and then what is the real solution you offer? So business, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you're helping real people solve a real problem with a real solution. 
those are the businesses that did well last year. Those are the businesses that did well, that are going to do well next year and, and 10 years from now and 100 years from now and 100 years ago. It's if they have clarity on who are the real people you serve and what's the real problem you solve and what is your real solution to that. That really wraps up business. I mean, that mm-hmm. ra- wraps up entrepreneurship. I-, I love that. I think if people take away one thing from this conversation, let it be that because that mindset alone will set you up for success if you decide you want to jump into the world of entrepreneurship, which I really love the way you explained it here. Uh, Now, I had a question on this because it is about solving problems. Yeah. And you actually tackle this a little bit in the book as well. But what if you are identifying problems to solve and maybe they're not the right ones or maybe they are? Like, how do you identify whether you're solving the right thing or not? That's a great question. So there's a couple of ways to, I mean, I'm sure there's many ways to approach this, but I teach a couple. The first thing is that I love to I love to really look back at Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of marketing. You maybe you may have heard of it, although many people refer to it as the hierarchy, uh, the hierarchy of needs, or you know, it's Abraham Maslow's theory of human motivation is the official title. Um, but yes, I refer to this as a hierarchy of marketing because the question is you got to get clear once you get clear on who your real people are that you're serving. Where are they on that hierarchy now? If you don't remember this from, you know, whatever class you first got introduced to this pyramid, you've probably seen it. You know, at level one are your physiological needs, right? So this is like, do you have food, water, shelter, or not even shelter, actually. That's Some of that's in the next level, but it's, it's really just have your basic physiological needs. Until those are met, you can't think about anything else, right? If someone's trying to tell you to achieve your full potential or to become like, you know, an award-winning something or the other, you know, and you're starving to death literally, you don't care about those things. You have to get your physiological needs met first before you can focus on your safety and security needs. Now, your safety and security needs, I mean, those are things like your ability. I mean, these days that looks like having an emergency fund in the bank, having a stable income, you know, having living in a safe environment with low crime. I mean, it's literally just turning off that fight or flight, you know, instinct. And then you can get into love and belonging, right? So, of course, that doesn't mean you wait until those boxes are checked to develop relationships, but it means that your energy doesn't naturally go to trying to trying to cultivate your or grow your relationships until those first two levels are crossed. Now, you know, level four is your esteem or your respect needs. And level five is um, uh, self-actualization or, be, or achieving your full potential. But you got to get clear first on where are your people on that ladder? What are they trying to solve right now? And then how aware are they of that problem? I mean, I love this. Ray Edwards has an acronym called, for this O-P-E-N. Are they open? Are they oblivious? To the problem? Are they pondering maybe creating a solution to the problem? Are they engaged in actively seeking a solution to the problem? Those are the people you want. Or do they are they in need? Or do they desperately need a solution to your problem? Don't market to the people who are in desperate need because they'll find you. And you've probably actually seen the sales pages for companies that market to people in desperate need. It feels really manipulative because they're saying like, buy this now or you will die. It's like, right. <laughs> <well>. yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, you're like maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. So market to people who are engaged and actively seeking a solution to that problem, and then the people who need you will find you. I I love that you're able to use this hierarchy of marketing. Which yeah. uh, I, I first heard that through I think Mike Michalowicz was the first one I heard. Maybe oh reference yeah, yeah. It he like uses that. it too. I love that. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had him on the podcast last year, and uh, and he referenced that way. That's the first time I heard it. So this is the second time I've ever heard that. But I think that's just a great way to to look at this and to really explore your potential customer. Because again, if they are missing their basic necessities, they don't want to buy your self-help journal that you're developing, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, hey, I'm trying to eat right now. Like, I'm not actually trying to figure out like how to become the best version of myself. I just want to be able to eat tomorrow. Like, and, and so really discovering that about them really helps you know that, hey, I'm in the right direction, helping them solve the problem that they are experiencing today. 
not in five years from now when they're doing better type of thing. So I, I think that you're really on to something with this point. Absolutely love it. And I think that this transitions really well into chapter two, which is to pick your people. And this is who you will serve. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of terms that people have been using in marketing to describe this, right? Your your avatar, your target customer, you know, all those kind of things. Um, and that's great. But I love saying real people because I want you. I want to really emphasize, I think today, in today's market, we need to really emphasize that there are real people people here, right? I mean, I've been, I've worked with so many clients or been in business meetings where people are talking about how many, you know, 10,000 sales or 500,000 followers. And you begin to kind of dehumanize the fact that there are real people on the other side of this. And a lot of your business decisions then become detached from those real people. So I think it's really important to get clear on real people that you serve because that allows you to then develop empathy for them. You know, I call this really cultivating your empathy advantage, right? This is an advantage if you can understand your real people so well that you know what they need. And you know, like, if you can close your eyes and visualize a day in their life and you have clarity on where your solution shows up in their life, right, or what problems they have that you can solve, then that's a superpower. So I think to contrast that, a lot of a lot of venture-backed Silicon Valley startups that are chasing this multi-billion dollar valuation – they're focused on growth at all costs, and, and often, unfortunately, too often, they lose sight of this real people thing because it's just all numbers. And so, you know, I think a great example of this is Juicero, which was this like unicorn company. It was valued, I don't know the exact valuation, but it was multi billion dollar valuation, huge backing behind it. It was basically this really expensive, I think it was about $600, you know, big machine that you could use to create like juice because people thought like everyone's going to be drinking juice for breakfast every day. It's super healthy. That's great. And so then they created this like $600 machine, but the way you used it was then you had to buy their juice packs, which were a lot cheaper, but it's basically just kind of like mushed up goo of like vegetables and fruits. And then you would put it into the machine and the machine would blend it with water and then give you your drink. And all of a sudden the real people were like, then why do I need the $600 machine? Can't I just squeeze the same juice stuff into a cup and mix water? You know, it was just so detached from reality that, you know, the company really crumbled and it may still exist today, but it's a shadow of its former self. But that's, that's what happens. That's the danger when you get disconnected is you end up making decisions that seem nice on a whiteboard and like, you know, you can maybe project the profit from that product. But if people don't actually need it, if there's not real people asking for this thing and looking for this thing, well, that's not going to last. You know, this point of empathy, I love that you brought this up. And this whole point is like where I, this is where I thrive right here mm-hmm. in, in this Good. point. And uh, people always ask on podcasts, I'm not going to ask you this, by the way, but a lot of podcasts that I jump on as a guest will ask me if you could have a superpower or if you did have one, what would it be? Yeah. And I always answer the same way. I say empathy, more mm-hmm. empathy toward other people because it would make me a better human and a better entrepreneur if I could really see what someone else was struggling with and really understand it and articulate it even better than they could. And everyone's always like, wow, I've never heard anyone say that before. But you did just say the same thing, right? You even <laughs> called it a superpower. Yeah. And I think being able to do that is just so important and not losing touch with those people. And like you said, some of these, not the, nothing against like a unicorn company that reaches that billion dollar right. valuation. But in order to do that, you have to be really focused on raising capital and developing products. Like you have to be really focused and people lose the ability to do what I call, which is just doing things that won't scale. And that simply means getting back in front of that customer, that person that you think you're serving and helping, and find out, am I still actually serving them? And I think someone who's done a really good job with this is actually Airbnb, has consistently gone back every time they change something to talk to people that are using their service, both as a provider of of lodging and the person that's actually going to be staying. They, They do a good job always communicating with those people to find out, hey, where are you at in this process? What does this feel like? What does this seem like? 
I, I just think that this chapter and this point of picking your people and really knowing them is just beyond important. Well, good. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And there, you know, and there are some exercises and kind of thought exercises and and, and, th- and similar templates and examples in there to really help you narrow this down because it's one. It's easy to say like pick your real people. Well, sometimes it's harder to actually pick them. And so one of the other things I really like to encourage people is that this is this can be fluid. Like it may mean that right now you say something broad, right? Maybe you start with something broad and you say, you know what, I want to help uh, women. Well, okay, that's that's really broad. So maybe try to go <laughs> right. a little one level deeper. Um, but then, um, but then you know, from there, like pick pick something that you feel sure about and walk it forward. I mean, start building out the business. Start making sure you have really clarity on what's the common theme in their story and what problems do they have that you can solve. And as you do that, you may find that you get more clarity on who your people are, right? And you maybe realize, oh, you know, it's actually you know, it's really only middle aged women who have this kind of problem that I want to help solve. You know, and then is it middle aged women specifically in the U.S. Or another country, you know, like you, you, you don't feel like you have to have all the demographic information in a spreadsheet when you start, but you do need to start getting that clarity on real people, so that you could literally, you know, it's, it's bonus points if you have a real person in your life and you could think, oh man, I want to help people like Susie, you know, and you can set that up as like that's a real person you know who has real problems and there's a lot of people like her. I've got one more question on this point here because I think that this is just a really important one. A lot of people I talk to, they get scared of doing what you just said because they're afraid they're going to niche down or get too focused and not be able to actually have customers other than Susie, as you just yeah. said, right? Like, and only serve the one person. There's obviously a balance here when you're clarifying this individual, but what do you say to somebody who's struggling with saying, oh, I don't want to get too focused because I'll put myself in a box? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Physics. I love, uh, this is like, um, you know, like I've already referenced economics, so I can re- reference another science now, physics. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I just like to keep my nerd rep uh, going. <laughs> of course, you're like, doing good so far. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So the way magnets work, right, we know they attract things, right? You put, you you know, I mean, as kids or as adults, you pick up a strong magnet and you hold it up to something that, you know, the, uh, that's metal and it kind of zaps to it. It's kind of cool, right? It's, it's kind of like magic. Well, the way magnets work is actually there's two things going on. They attract and repel with equal strength. So if you want a magnetic brand, you have to both attract and repel with equal strength. Now, what I mean by that is if you can think back to the last time you saw a kid, or maybe it was you, I've got young kids, so it's not that hard for me to think back to this, to take two magnets that are you know, opposite energy and try to push them against each other, and there's this like invisible force that pushes back and you can't quite get them to touch. That's because of that extra energy. If the, if the magnets are weak and you could touch them to each other, they're also not going to pull anything towards them. So we use this phrase a lot, right? Have someone having a magnetic personality or a magnetic brand. But usually we don't pause to think, like, what does that actually mean? Well, to appeal to someone, you have to make sure that you're not, in, you're not trying to include everyone. I mean, it's just a byproduct of it, of it is that you have to pick a, a group that you want to attract magnetically, which means you're going to repel some other people. Now, there's different degrees to which you can repel. Like, I'm not asking you to be offensive. Please don't. Um, but at my, so I own a co-working space company, and the, the giant, from the outside, from the street, you walk by our window, and all you can see is this giant teal wall with these big white letters that says, entrepreneurs welcome. Now, we have customers of the co-working space who are not entrepreneurs, right? It's not like they looked at that and they were like, well, I work for PepsiCo. So, <laughs> right. you know, like, no, they, they came in and they said, that's cool. That's not for me, but I know who you are. And so therefore I can see where I fit in that. Similarly, another example would be, you know, um, so my wife and I, we have three young boys. And so there are some phenomenal blogs and magazines out there that are really targeted to moms, young moms to say like, Hey, things you need to know about your, about your kids. That's great. They're super targeted on young moms. 
my wife really appreciates that material. And when I read it, I don't, like I don't, I read it, right? Like I don't read, I don't look at it and go, well, that's for moms, so not for me. No, I look at it and I go, oh, okay, cool. This was written for young moms. But as a young dad or a dad of young children, then I know there's things that I can get value out of this. And so people, it's really just believing that people have the intelligence to be able to self-filter and recognize they want to know where you fit in their world so they can kind of put a tag on you, put a put a byline on you and so they can understand you. But, you, but there are people... You know, people know how to filter themselves to decide when to engage with a company, um, but you still have to niche down. And yeah, I mean that's true with that's true with every I mean, product or service or book. And also in our global world today, I mean the fact is your market is potentially every single person on the planet. Well, if you're trying to sell eight billion products, I don't know. I mean, unless you're selling water, I don't know what else eight billion people need. So you got to pick. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> you got to pick a problem to solve. The air business is pretty good these the days. Air bus- yeah, so yeah, you exactly. can oxygen is is really is really uh, trending right now. Um, yes. No, it's a good point. You know, you end this section with, a, you have a quote in it that I'd like to, to mention real quick. And you just say, get crystal clarity on the target customer you serve. And I just think that that's really the point here is really, who are you going to serve? Who can you have empathy toward? And when you do this, I believe that you can really, this is how you pick your people. Yep. And that transitions right into the third chapter and point in your book, which is to sell your solution. This is what everyone wants to skip to usually, right? Is they want to get yes. straight to selling. Uh, I'd like to hear a little about maybe a company or something that you use in the book, even as an example of a company that really got these steps right to the sell your solution point. Yeah, well, I'll uh, I'll share one of the riskier examples I have in the book, right? Because um, so I have I actually follow the story of this, you know, of um, of this women's boutique in the book, and which is dangerous for lots of reasons, most of which being that I I do not generally shop at women's boutiques. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, but there's that one is a outside. nice shirt you're wearing. It's a nice shirt you're yeah, wearing. Yeah, thank now. you, um. <laughs> thank you. But there is a women's boutique out my window in my office, so maybe maybe that might be somewhat related to that example um, in the book. But um, but the thing is, like, I think here's the thing. We're in the attention economy, not the supply economy. So when I took Economics 101, maybe you learned this too, a market is made up of supply and demand, right? But the reality is in the world we live in today, right now, supply is nearly infinite for nearly everything, right? If you want to 3D print something, you can. If you want to order a bunch of it from the other side of the world, you can. If you want to create a digital version of something that you will never touch and feel and sell that, you can. And so we live in this attention economy where demand is really the only thing that matters for the most part. If you own demand, you win. So a lot of businesses are still operating as if they live in a supply-based economy. Bookstores and clothing stores are two notorious examples for this. A lot of bookstores, so I'm right out my window, there's a bookstore, out on my left, there's a clothing boutique. So I've got some very clear props right here. For <laughs> yeah, this. you do. This is great. <laughs> so that bookstore right over here to my right, they have a huge selection of a bunch of books on all, all different subjects. It's as if they're saying, if you need a book, we have one. But a book is just a collection of pieces of paper between some binding with a little bit of glue and ink, right? I mean, that's not that's a, that's a category, but the reality is that's why Amazon has done so well in the book market because Amazon said, we'll give you access to every book in the world. Can they do that locally? No, they cannot. Um, and so they're really competing as if they're still in a supply market. But in demand market, imagine if that bookstore instead were to decide to pick in the age of insight, to pick a category that people really wanted to know about. I mean, imagine that the bookstore was really to double down and said, like, and said, like, look, we really just focus on classic literature. And so if you just, if you love a good, like, classic literature book, we've got some of those, and we've got some of what we call the new classics, which are these up and co- upcoming newer written, you know, novels that appear, that adhere to our standards 
And so that we believe they're going to be the new classics. And so, you know, like, like that's, then you've got, then you're talking about creating an experience. It's not just selling books. I mean, you're, you're having events, you're having a community, a tribe around you. Um, the same thing goes with the clothing boutique. I mean, as far as your solution, so I'll go through the clothing boutique example. If, if, as if you, as the owner of a women's clothing boutique decide that you're real people or that you're like, okay, look, so I own this clothing boutique here in Columbia, Tennessee, which is where I live. So these are all very, uh, inspired examples, I guess you could say. Right. Um, and I want to help specifically serve working women in Murray County. Okay. In Columbia, Tennessee. Um, then what do they need? What are some problems they have? Well, if you start talking to working women in Middle Tennessee or in Murray, in Columbia or Murray County, you might find that one of their, you know, they've got a lot of problems. Honestly, they're really, they're really busy. Um, they wanna, they wanna show up and look really professional in the workforce, but, um, but they don't really want to have to like, you know, dress to the nines or spend three hours getting ready you do every day for work. You know, plus a lot of them are still, you know, juggling kids and and house management stuff. You know, along with juggling the whatever, you know problems their husbands are causing in their life guilty um and so with all that to, all that to be said the question is that okay one of the things they need is what if as a women's boutique you realize that what you're selling are not blouses and t-shirts and skirts but you're selling that confidence in the workplace and what if you crafted an offer where you were able to make it really clear that you want to give someone really like the working woman's wardrobe. And I mean, a capsule wardrobe that takes all the guesswork out of it, where you have a few items, you don't have to have a closet with a hundred things. You have a few core items that you can mix and match that all look confident and classy with your with your body style that allow you to show up without having to stress about it. Um, and to, I mean, like that, like that, that's a solution, right? Um, that, that, that's the difference between selling products versus selling a solution. And so many businesses get stuck on the product, which is why I don't really, I mean, we talk about products in the book towards the end, but that's not where we start by any means. You have to get clear on the solution. And I love that example. I think that you might be able to open a women's clothing boutique and do all right, John. It sounds like you, <laughs> sounds like you might be able to do okay. Thank you. Someone else would have to actually pick out the clothing, but I can like design the business model in a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, that, that's great. Yeah. My wife previously owned, she, she sold at this point, but she used to own a women's clothing boutique oh, online and uh, she had a brick and mortar store as well. Um, awesome. I would have loved to have given her some of your advice right there. That was really good. Um, Thanks. But she did very well with it. So I'm, I'm proud good. of her. Um, but no, this is such a good point that you're selling a solution. You're not just selling a product. And your product is built off the solution that you've created. Yeah. And I think that so many of us, we again, we skip to it. We're excited about the product. We're really attached to it. What would happen, would you say, if perhaps you offered the wrong solution and you needed to, to adjust? So you built the product and it wasn't the proper solution. You need to make an adjustment. Do you have any advice or thoughts on that if you need to tweak something? Well, that's a great question. I think one of the first things I would do is I would look at, if we're talking about an actual product now, I would look at the offer because it may not be the product's wrong. It may just be how it's positioned. And so I love to start with what I call a gateway product, which is think of this as like the painless purchase version of your transformation, right? So maybe you go through with that women's boutique example, and maybe you design this really amazing flasher product where someone can come into your business and they can spend $2,500 and they get to, you know, get a styling session with a stylist that's going to help them pick out their wardrobe. They leave with a full outfit. It's a, it's a glorious experience, right? Well, that's a big ask. So a gateway product might be something much more simple. In that example, you know, and you can apply this to any business, but a gateway product might instead 
be, you know, um, an affordable pair of, of multi-purpose shoes that are comfortable and classy. So you could, you know, could wear them with dress clothes. You could look great, you know, in, in the workplace and feel confident in that, but also things that you could wear, you know, at home or running errands and you're not going to be complaining about your feet at the end of the day. So like that would be a great entry level product. That's sort of like one piece of the wardrobe. I realize it's really risky for me to go on a podcast and start giving like women's clothing advice. So, <laughs> right. Um, uh, I'm unqualified. <laughs> Let me just make that clear. If you're looking for an age of inside expert on women's clothing, um, you know, there's a, it's not me, <laughs> but, but the example stands and that, you know, like it's a real problem, right? So similarly, if you have like an information product business, you know, it might be that your gateway product instead is, is either like a, you know, a low price version of your product. It might be a, instead of maybe, so in your case with Podmatch, Alex, you know, you've got this subscription service, you know, right? You, that's the primary product for Podmatch is this subscription service where you get, you know, pay, you get uh, podcast hosts and podcast guests to, to work together. Now there's a free version of that as well, right? So that's your, what I call your sample solution. But the gateway product might instead be a one-time purchase. Um, like maybe your gateway product is, you know, let's just call, say it's, you know, it's for your business, it might be a $25 one-time fee, um, for a pod match curator to match you with one podcast that we believe is perfectly suited to your needs. Right. I'm taking notes. This yeah. is good. So notes. a lot of people who are like, well, I'm not ready to sign up for the subscription service, but like, I'll try it once. Right. I mean like that's a, yeah. And it's like, and if they get value from that gateway product, then they're gonna go, they're gonna want more, right? And so that's, that's the first thing I would do is I would say, see if you can make a smaller version of your product and see how people react to that. And make sure you're still talking to the people, like actually get their feedback, right? If you get crickets, that means you don't, just don't have engagement, right? I mean, just ask people literally like, why didn't you buy it? I mean, like, is this something you're interested in? I'm sure you just tell them, tell them, I am trying to help you. And this is something I think would help you. And if someone comes back and says, oh, I mean, like, that's nice, thank you, but here's why I didn't buy it. Well, then you could learn from that. But the gateway product is the best way to test to test the market. John, I think that's so brilliant. I, I took some notes for the idea that you gave me here Good. today as well. So thank you for that. <laughs> great. I mean, this has been just a great conversation. I really want to make sure we respect your time. Uh, had a great time talking to you so far about just building a thriving business. This is just like, these are some foundational principles for building business in the new world for sure, man. Before we end our time together, do you have any final thoughts for the Creating a Brand listeners today? Oh man, thank you for asking. I think just just know this that like the book is called Survive and Thrive, but it's the thrive that I'm really passionate about. But surviving is a is a prerequisite, right? So whatever you're going through, it could be your industry is changing, it could be the economy is changing, it could just be that you're you're having a rough go at it and right now with your business, you have to survive that because you need to beat the odds, right? Because most businesses fail. And so I want you to survive that, which is why these are timeless principles. And these aren't original to me. I may have packaged them in an original way, but these are principles that you can trace back to just how business has been done um, for the history of the world. Now, okay, so some of the growth models like search engine optimization, maybe that wasn't around in 50 BC, but the principles of creating a real solution to a real problem for real people, that's what stands the test of time. And that's regardless of the technology, that's going to stay relevant. So I would just encourage you to keep up the good work. Um, and I say that a lot because I want it to be encouraging, but also because you know what the good work is, right? I'll leave that up to your own interpretation. Love it, John. Thank you so much for being with us. Truly an honor to get the opportunity to talk to you today, man. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Alex. As I mentioned during this interview, this book is one of the most profound and impactful business books I've ever read. I highly recommend picking up a copy of it. 
Also, be sure to check the show notes because John has a tool that allows you to answer some questions that he's come up with that will provide what he calls a Thrive Score to see how your business is set up to survive and thrive during any economic situation. Just so you know, my business got a 75% on the Thrive Score, so I have some work to do. Be sure to check that out for yourself. John, thank you again for being a guest and for your continued help that you provided me and so many others along the way in our journeys. To pick up a copy of John's book, Survive and Thrive, and for a link to his Thrive Score tool and other helpful resources, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 104. Thank you as always for listening, and I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.